Welcome to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast, a podcast for smart moms. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weisner. I'm a psychologist, a mom, an author, and an occasional shit show. I'm Sharon Sapir. I'm a mom with a master's in nutrition from a fancy pants school, and I still want to eat my face off sometimes. We want to make you think. We want to make you laugh. And we want to remind you that, hey, we all go through shit. Our guest today is Dr. Carla Naumberg, who has recently released her third book, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. You may also know her from the Huffington Post, the New York Times, Slate, Salon, and Psychology Today. She's a clinical social worker with a PhD. Nonetheless, Carla has epically struggled with losing her shit on her kids. I think we can all relate. How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids is like talking to your best friend. It's an intelligent, non-judgy kick in the ass that we all kind of need. Carla, we are, or Dr. Domberg, we are so happy to have you on our podcast, um, particularly because Sharon and I feel like you are our people. We can hang. Uh, and one of the things that did it for me is that, well, it was more a question. Have you yet patented, patented perfection can suck it? Because I think we could market that and put it on shirts. And hats <gasps> everywhere. I'm I'm sorry. I have to actually cancel this recording right now so I can <laughs> learn how to patent something because that never occurred to me. So my husband's a lawyer. Got it. But literally, perfection can suck it. Trademark Carla Nomberg. Perfect. Um, because my tagline, right? Yeah. 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 I think that actually that can be the name of this episode um, or your tagline, but whatever. Okay, but you're going to have to apply to me for permission to use that phrase for your episode because by the time you get there, I will have it patented. Totally. Don't be so. Don't, we're quick though. We're quick on the draw here. Uh, but really, it was questions like this that it was comments like this that made us really want to reach out to you and really be thrilled that you decide to join us. Um, and uh, you have just recently published a book, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, which is fan-fucking-tastic. It's a practical guide to becoming a calmer, happier parent. And uh, really, it is, it's kind of a combination of badass and Buddhist mindfulness. So um, it, I think it really speaks to the average person I know it spoke to me. It spoke to Sharon. It is just super relatable. That's all I have to say. I just felt like she gets me. She knows it. She's been there. She knows what's in my head. Like I, I have read so many parenting books and so many of them make me feel like a piece of shit. Oh. <laughs> they do. And I just, they almost make me feel worse. This one didn't make me feel worse. It actually was extremely empowering because A, I felt normal and B, I had actionable steps that didn't seem like they were impossible to do. Hard right. work, but not impossible. Hard work, but manageable. Right. You know, yeah, I, um, maybe it's cause I didn't sleep very well last night, but Aww. I think I might start crying. Aww. Aww. <laughs> I'll cry with you if you want. <laughs> we could all just have a little cry fest together. That would not be awkward for the podcast. No, um, it's great radio. So, not at all. So, People love hearing that on the radio, women. <laughs> you don't hear enough of women crying and like, you know, commercial media. Um, but seriously, when I started thinking about this book, that's what I'd wanted because look, I have read lots of parenting books. I've written two others of them. And 
I've actually had friends say to me that my previous parenting books kind of made them feel a little bit bad. And I was like, oh my God, stop reading. Go out in your backyard and set them on fire. Like totally. Yeah. (laughs) Makes you feel bad. Stop, throw it to the wolves and do anything else. And so when I sat down to write this book, I, that was one of my primary goals was I wanted people who read it to feel less alone, more connected, more inspired to know that we're all losing our shit. Yeah. We all mm-hmm. are. And I think this is one of those things that it's so easy to believe that other parents out there have their shit together and somehow we don't. Right. And social media is a major culprit of this. Hashtag right? blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag. Oh, I fucking hate that one. <laughs> I love it. Especially for like when shit's going wrong, I'll be like, hashtag blessed. It's funny when it's ironic. I know. Okay. It is. It's like Ray Ain. Yeah. <laughs> getting it, right? Um well you succeeded in your goal, I will tell you, especially um just you know, so many things I we have a billion notes. I've written all over your beautiful book, but I think that's the point of good books is to be able to write notes all over it. Um I I think we're all struggling. I think the best thing you can do as a mother is find a tribe or squad or group. What did she call it? Cause I just yelled this at Sharon this morning. Sharon and I ran into each other at the gym. So we had, today was our first day of school. I think it was yours as well. Oh yeah. So much fun. Um, and Sharon and I try to be super moms in different ways. Sharon's children eat healthy shit. And no, they don't they eat plenty of crap. Come on. And no chemicals and my <laughs> lots of chemicals, <laughs> lots of chemicals. Um, but I happened to take my daughter to uh, first day of school. You know, you stand outside, you meet their teachers, whatever. And I found one of Sharon's kids who I love dearly and took a picture of her and sent it to Sharon. If you're texting me, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm writing notes. Okay, good. Um, and I sent it to her and I said, sorry, I, you know, I missed um, your other daughter. And Sharon writes back, you're not my personal uh, photographer. And I literally wrote back like page 121. Oh. I, I, I was like, page yeah. 121, your crew. Page 122, your peeps. And just left it at that. Like, and, and I then, got it. And she got it because it was nice. It's, just, it's like everything you say is like in my life. Does that make sense, Carla? Yeah, a fangirl sort of way. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I need to... Um, to our audience, uh, Lindsay's given me strict orders not to fangirl. It's no, it's very just difficult that- with Carla because I was like sending her like love letters in my head while reading this book. Oh. I'm just going to sit here and like emote. <laughs> well, listen, we have actually spoken for years about moving to the Isle of Lesbos. So you <laughs> know that you will be invited if we ever do. <laughs> I would totally do that. But let, let's make one thing very clear. I'm not cooking. Oh, I'm not cooking. Oh, fuck. I'm not cooking either. Look, I will wash the dishes. I'm not freaking cooking. I'm not washing dishes. I'm not doing anything. I won't do anything either. I'll yell at the kids. Can we bring a hot guy to cook? That's what I'm saying. Like a really hot Adonis to like make food for us and clean. Right. And or delivery. Um, Whatever. I'm all for these things. I know delivery, whatever. Uh, You know, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I I think that you made it clear in your book with which everyone should read. Have to. Yes. As as to how you came upon this, you know, you sort of struggled with, um, I guess, realizing that you were, you know, 
losing your shit with your kids, which we're well familiar with. And can that, can I just say how good it makes me feel that Carla as a, as a PhD clinical social worker has written parenting books that even you struggled with losing your shit. It just, it, it really helped me to know that. And I think, think, yeah, I mean, I think my favorite, so look, the biggest driver of my shit loss, if you will say, was my anxiety. Yeah. Um, After my first daughter was born, she's almost 11, uh, I developed a whopping case of postpartum anxiety and I just trotted right along or sludged or however you want to say with that anxiety through the birth of my second daughter 20 months later, well into daycare, preschool, did not understand what was going on, did not realize how much my anxiety was driving my irritability. Because I think when people think anxiety, they think worry and stress and fear. And what they don't realize is that irritability is a huge symptom of anxiety, right? Snappiness, crankiness, yelling at your kids. Um, and I, the night for me, really, and I talk about this in the book, was this night, bear in mind, I have, like you said, I have a doctorate in clinical social work, which means I basically have a PhD in confusing thoughts and big feelings, mm-hmm. um, all this stuff. And I, I literally had to sit down and Google, how do I stop yelling at my kids? Because I was so lost. And it was, it was a hard moment for me because I'm like, this is the shit I'm supposed to know. And I am in the weeds and I do not know how to get out. But that was sort of the first step. And I'm, I'm not going to like pretend that I saw some top 10 list on my Google search that suddenly gave me the answer. I mean, that was the start of a journey that took me years to figure out. And what I will tell you is I am on the other side of that journey. Like I, I absolutely lose it with my kids. And, and just like, you know, it's really fun to have a book. So much fun. (laughs) Called called how to stop losing your shit with your kids. And then be out with your friends who see you on the verge of losing your shit with your kids. (laughs) Yesterday we went for a hike and my kids were having a hard time because it's a hike. Yeah. It's a hike. And they were tired because we let them stay up too late at a labor day thing the night before. And they were anxious about the first day of school and they were being annoying. And I was like, on the verge of losing it and trying really hard not to and like snapping branches in my hands. So I wouldn't like, you know, and my friends were like, <laughs> sounds oh, familiar. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, haha, didn't you write a book about this? And I was oh. like, haha, shove it. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I still, just to be very, very honest and clear, um, I still lose it with my kids, but it happens a whole lot less often than it did before. And that's the get, that's the goal. Right. Like nobody's perfect. And I think it's okay to like lose your temper with your children. It doesn't like, that's what part of being in a relationship with somebody is. And I don't want my kids to grow up thinking that a healthy relationship means you never, ever have conflict with the other person. Like that's not reality. Um, But it happens less often than it used to. It happens less intensely than it used to. And when it happens, like I know how to recover more quickly. Right. And let's just clarify for, you know, uh, I don't know, legal, technical, you know, medical license issues. We're not talking about, the, I mean, your book is, you mentioned people that where there's a physical or an emotional, you know, abuse or violence, but really we're talking about, I guess, you know, what we go through as average moms, which doesn't mean, doesn't exclude, you know, um, some sort of a, I don't know, an extreme case or saying something hurtful or whatnot, but, but really we're talking about, um, you know, the average mother reacting or overreacting when their triggers are pushed. 
Yeah. And look, um, I mentioned this in the book, but when I think about parents who are hitting their kids or being emotionally abusive, um, I don't think about bad parents. I think about parents who don't have the support, education, knowledge, resources that they need to do better. And absolutely, um, hitting your kids is not okay. Um, Being abusive is not okay. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Of course. I I don't know how I ended up on this side of that line. Um, Mm. But if you're struggling with that, please, please find somebody to reach out to, whether it's a therapist or a school counselor or your doctor or the pediatrician or a rabbi, imam, minister, priest, whoever you trust, please find somebody that you can sort of connect with and figure out a path to stopping that happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, I think the, you're, you're talking more to, to people too, who the normal losing your shit, the like snapping at your kids, the kind of like the mean tone, the, the, like, just feeling like you were mean to your child, which I've definitely struggled with just being like, can you just be quiet? Or like, I've definitely said, can you just shut up for a second before, which made me feel like the worst person yeah. on the planet. And, I could be, I could top that, but we'll go. Yeah. <laughs> you could all top that. I, uh, I mean, I know, that made I, me feel horrible. I can top that after, you know, a week or two of running around, you know, standing on my head for my kid. And he was like, you never do anything for me. And I dropped the F-bomb and then, of course, felt I I'm pretty sure I called Sharon crying shortly and, after and that. And then I made her feel worse about it. Yeah, <laughs> this is not helpful. <laughs> no, but the truth is, I mean, I already felt, you know, like it's not I think the helpful thing is what Carla is doing, which is teaching us to recover, repair. Yes. Um, and take care of ourselves in a, in a way that our, you know, our red buttons or triggers don't get pressed. Um, and one of the things that really stuck with me for the book was actually everything stuck with me, but was when you were talking about the prefrontal cortex. Oh, yeah. Um, brain science here. But I love like psychology, like psychobiology that that's what I'm calling it. I don't know if that's really what it is, whatever. Um, that like relates back to sort of caveman days of like what we were intended and how we were uh-huh. intended versus how we are now. And, um, I mean, you were, uh, my specialty is anxiety. And so I, where were you 10 years ago, honey? <laughs> oh, I can tell you, I, I um, actually didn't need me because I had to raise the blinds to know that it was daytime and lower them to know that it was nighttime. I was convinced that I could not put my kid to sleep without my husband's help. And then the final straw came when um, I put my son on a school bus to go to camp all of like maybe a half mile from our house. This is the suburbs. And as the bus was pulling away, I yelled after, don't forget if there's a fire, you have to take him out of the car seat. Oh, oh, mama, you and I should have been hanging out. We could have. I know. Anxious wrecks together. Yeah, funny story. Um, the bus counselor is now a, on that bus is now a patient of mine. And that was the day I started meds because, you know, I needed some help with it. Um, let's let's take a minute and talk about mommy anxiety. Can we do yes, this? Oh, absolutely. Please. Oh, please. Here's the thing I want to say is I uh, was not alive before I was born. So I'm going to speculate here. That's my deep thought for the day. That is interesting. You were not alive before you were born. Thoughts. <laughs> But I, I think 
the parents are more anxious today than oh, they were in previous generations. 100% million. I, I really believe that. And I think it's not our fault. Like, I really think that there is um, this idea that if we could just choose to stop being so helicoptery and choose to stop being so snow plowy or whatever the latest thing is, but let's, let's think a minute about the broader things. This is my thing I like to talk about, the broader dynamics about parental anxiety. So um, number one, social media, right? My sister's trying to call me a hang up. Sorry, sister. Social media, <laughs> right? So we log on to social media. And first of all, what do we see? All these parents doing all these things we think we should be doing. Oh, yes. I didn't sign my kid up for piano or hockey or coding or whatever it is, right? So the stress about that, like, oh my gosh, I, my kid can't run a 5K. And that kid ran a 5K and I can see him <laughs> all sweaty with a medal. And I try to kid, get my kid to walk like three blocks to dinner and she throws a shit fit. So, Same. Let, okay, so there's that. Then let's talk about social media and news headlines and updates. Right? Oh yeah, fear mongering. And, uh... not only, but, and it's not just like the national and international news, which is total and complete crap right now. Right. But it's also, oh, hey, guess what? Like this person you haven't thought about in 20 years suddenly shows up on social media to tell you their kid was diagnosed with cancer. <gasps> yes. yep. And it's like, oh, oh my God, right. Pediatric cancer. That's a thing that I need to worry about now. And sorry to anybody who was just triggered by hearing that, but like, yes. Or like a high school- I like you less for using the word trigger, but go on. I know, I know. A high school, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, or the high school buddy who suddenly died and you didn't know, and you get this, like, you know, you're literally walking into school and you're just innocently swiping through yep. walking to school. And all of a sudden you're like this big, hot, anxious mess and you got to get your kid. And then there's the constant news updates. So like, you know, when I was a kid, we would turn on the news at six o'clock, watch it for half an hour, maybe read the newspaper in the morning that didn't have like videos of horrible things happening. And in the middle of the day, people didn't get news updates every five minutes. So there's this constant influx. And then there's the research and experts. And I realize this is- No, this is the one that bothers, bothers me. So I'm sort of happy to hear. Let's do this. Let's talk about this. This is a little rich coming from me because I write parenting books, but eh. there's so much expert advice out there and, and it's constantly changing. And, you know, give them peanuts before age one. Don't give them peanuts. You know, you need to have, you know, if your kid is asthmatic like mine, then you need to have a humidifier in their room. Oh, no, don't have the humidifier in their room. You have to do this. You have to do that. And it, it makes parents so anxious that they're doing it wrong, right? And then the underlying message underneath all of that advice, I'm still- You're fucked. Like, That's the message, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, essentially the message is, if you parents get this right, your kid will be okay. And if for any reason your kid is not okay, it's because you parents screwed it up. Absolutely. That is BS. That's bullshit. I forgot I could uh, swear on this podcast. Yeah, you can swear this hard. Uh, absolutely. You, you can swear as much as you want. That, you swear as much as you want, yeah. Life is far more complicated than that. And sometimes the kid is not okay because the kid is not okay. Yeah. And, so, so, and the deal as parents is either you have to have fixed the problem by doing the right research, listening to the right podcast, reading the right book, hiring the right specialist, consulting with the right consultant, or you better have a damn good story about how hard you work to fix it. Right. I mean, you, I, those, you suck. That's the message. And it makes me banana pants. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my, my daughter, when she was eight weeks old, she was born in January. And I was told by the pediatrician, pediatrician who I love and still want to marry, but I was told, you know, 
Um, don't let her into the school. Wash and Purell your... I don't think he said Purell your son's face, but in my anxious mind, it was wash and Purell your son's hands and face before he comes out. Have him change shirts. I did not Purell his face, but everything else I did. And at eight Purell weeks... Purell his tongue? I should have. So in case he licked her? He pro- he, they lick each other now. They're eight and ten, but... Um, they do. Yeah, it's her flowers in the attic. Are you weird? Um, not really. We might... <laughs> edit that out anyways and so at eight weeks this bitch gets meningitis and i'm like well and everyone's like your daughter yeah Ooh. i was like everyone's like how did that happen i'm like i don't know i did everything right i uh this listen she also broke a bone at two and at three and right before mother's day this year she's a professional so the other day, just to tell you, like, you know, my, not the other day, it was a couple years ago, I should be fair, but my daughter was like seven. And for seven years, I had been saying the only thing that goes in your mouth is food or drink. That's it. Nothing else for seven years. You don't put stuff in your mouth. You not don't Play-Doh? No. No, no fingers. Like, let's keep it all out of the mouth. Age seven, I catch her licking the chair in the waiting area at the minute clinic at CVS. Oh, <laughs> no. Come on. And oh, obviously, I would have freaked out. That's the type I, that, that, that triggers me. Open your mouth. I'm like, yeah. I did not put the Purell in the mouth. You know, but you know oh, someone there is watching and being like, well, what's wrong with that mother? And the fact is we can but it's not so much. Started so but much. it's not just that. It's like, in my head, I'd be thinking like, what diseases did you just lick? Like, oh, what no, are you? I was like, yeah. she's got Ebola. She's going to yeah. have Of course. But look, here's what I will say about, you make such a good point about the other parents who are watching me. You know, first, my daughter's like licking the chair in the urgent care waiting area. (laughs) And then I'm losing it with her. And I'm sure other parents were judging me. And here's one of the things that really changed in my life that I didn't expect. Before I got my shit together, by which I mean, got treatment for my anxiety, started sleeping at night, made it a priority to move my body every day. Like as soon as we get off this phone call, I'm heading out for a walk. I got to go before I get the kids. Um, I was judging the shit out of other parents. I won't lie to you. When my anxiety was so high and I was constantly worried I was doing the wrong thing, I was really judging the crowd. Like everything other parents did was wrong. They weren't handling it right. But really it's because I felt like I wasn't handling anything yes. right. Insecurity. Right. I have to tell you, I really at this point have almost no opinion about other parents parenting choices like i you know if i saw someone hitting their kid Mm. as a mandated reporter in the state of massachusetts i'd have to do something about that but you know what how you feed your kid when you put them to bed what like how much screen time they get if it's working for you and your family rock on if it's not working for you and your family that's none of my damn business unless you want to talk to me about it and it's like yeah, if the kid's an asshole, then I'm sort of a judgy bitch. But otherwise, I agree. If the kid is an asshole to my kid. Right, right, yes. right, right. Then I get a little mama berry. But Same. that's, that's about, but and then I have to step back and think about what is the lesson I want my child to learn? Punch harder. No, just kidding. Not, no. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. no, just kidding. No, but like, how do I want, look, because people are assholes all the time. And sometimes I'm the asshole. So we have to figure out, you know, what what do I want? What are the skills I want my girls to start learning to deal with this? Because welcome to the rest of your life, child. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, I have to say the extent to which I judge other parents and care about the judgment of other parents has decreased dramatically since I got myself under control. And I never would have predicted this because I am like Judgy McJudgerstein. Interesting. I think that makes a huge shift. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. I think it's anytime we have an insecurity about ourselves, the first thing we do is judge other people that we see that reflecting on, you know? So that makes total sense to me. And now, yeah, I, yeah that, that. And it's very I, freeing. It yeah. makes parenting so much more fun when you're like, let's just chill. And I'm not here to think about your parenting. I'm here. Uh, but I still hate the mean girls. So I don't like asshole children. I don't like asshole mommies. They produce asshole children normally. But I don't like moms who don't correct when their kid is being a dick, when they don't call them out on it, because I feel like that's your job as a parent is to make a good, not, I mean, good person, bad person, but someone who's like just a productive member of society. So well, let me be clear, just because yeah. I don't judge other parents, for me, judging is like, you're a bad parent, you're making yeah, a yeah. choice. I may do that, like I don't do that as often, but if your kid is out of control or being rude or mean or you're being rude or mean, we're just not gonna hang out. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean I wanna be around it and I tolerate it. Mm. I mean, I'm still setting boundaries because God, if parenting has taught me anything, life is short, man. We got limited time. Yep. So I'm gonna choose who I wanna spend that time with. So there are still boundaries to be set. And if you are a child in my home, I feel very comfortable saying to you that behavior is not okay in a nice way but firm, but I'm not walking around like staring down the mom in the grocery store and being like, why is your kid crying? Yeah, absolutely. You, you actually write, and I'm sorry, Lindsay, <laughs> I am gonna, I'm going there. More underlined than mine. Oh yeah. I, I freaking, um, this she is my, freaking loves you. It's my parenting Bible. It says you can be <laughs> kind. You say you can be kind and say no and hold your boundaries at the same time. Being kind isn't the same thing as being nice or always saying yes or throwing yourself under the bus. It just means not being a jerk about whatever is going on. So that really resonated with me because I, I think in my head, the boundaries thing has always been an issue to me because I always cared more about being nice, 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 nice. But then you harbor all this resentment because you're not setting those boundaries and then you get angry at everyone and then you're a jerk. And and look, it's a hard thing to do, especially as a woman in this Yes, a hundred percent. Women are expected to be nice. And here's some examples of the ways I have seen boundaries set or that people set limits with me that really work. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I think I mentioned this in the book. I asked this other mom if she wanted to come to some committee meeting or something at school. Yes, I love this story. And she just said, you know what? I can't come because my husband and I, we have five kids. We're exhausted and we don't go out on weeknights. It's just not a thing we do. And I was like, not only, I was so impressed. Like I was not at all offended that she said no. And I was like, oh, you're my hero. I want to be that person who never leaves my house on weeknights. Cause I love my couch and quality <laughs> time with my couch every night. And I just, I loved it. And you know, with my daughters, for example, I will be the latest thing that we're, we're getting into it about is the flip phone. My older daughter is trying to convince me she needs a flip phone. Cause she knows that a smartphone is absolutely off the table until at least eighth grade. Yep. And so you know, I can snap at her, bite her head off about her. I just say, hey, kiddo, I really understand how much you want this flip phone. I get that it's important to you, but here's the reasons we're not doing it. And I stick to the line. And so she's learning that nagging doesn't get her anywhere. Like a compelling argument, sometimes I will change my mind for a really compelling argument if they bring up something that I hadn't previously thought of. But, and, and my favorite way to kind of hold the boundaries with my kids, hold the limit in a way that I think is pretty not rude, is I say, you know what, buddy? Asked and answered. Right. You asked and I answered. And that's like code for conversation over. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not mean, it's not snappy. It's just like, we're not talking about this anymore. It's done. 
I agree. It's funny. Sharon and I both gave a little chuckle about the person who put their foot down because um, last year I had eight. Last year, basically, Sharon told me that if I took one more PTA position this year, she was would not be my friend anymore. And so I thought that was sort of funny. Um, but it, it is tough as moms. And this led me to something I wrote on my notes, meanie pants. Um, so, um, you know, seeking space from our kids. Mm. I, um, I think it's extremely important. And yet, how do I justify the fact that, um, I, I mean, I have a private practice. I define my, you know, day as it is. I took this week off because I know that the first week of school makes me crazy. Um, and yet there are going to be times when my kids come home from school and after an hour, an hour and a half, I'm like, mommy needs a break. You know, I think we've got like the working mom, the stay at home mom, the, the uh, hybrid mom, the one who works. For, that's right. Me. I that's work from true. home yeah. all the time and they're there and me it's, too. Well, yeah. that's going to lead to the multitasking thing, which was huge okay, so- for me. Let's talk about both these. So chapter yes. seven okay. is called get some space from your kids so you don't lose your shit with them. Right? This is like the best book club ever, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you said something really interesting, Lindsay. You said, how do I justify yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Point number one, I guarantee you, I can't imagine a dad on the planet asking that question. Agreed. Mm, you haven't. Oh, that's true. Okay. You have. A mystery- I thought you meant you couldn't imagine a dad asking that of me. No, no. I'm saying, yeah. look, my dad, my husband is a fantastic hands-on, super involved, amazing partner to me. I'm so lucky. I'm grateful every day. And he's an amazing dad. He would not feel a need to justify time away from the kids. And right. he doesn't expect me to justify time away from the kids. He doesn't. And so this is an expectation we moms have put on ourselves. And I'll tell you something, moms in the 50s, I'm not like trying to um, glorify any generation, but they didn't justify, you know, hey kid, get out of my house and I'll ring the bell. Agreeing, yeah. This is this new um, sort of style of hyper parenting that I think is not helpful and it's not necessary. Look, having, and I talk about this in the book, having a strong relationship with your child doesn't mean constantly paying focused right. on them. That's intrusive and it doesn't feel good. Like we want to be responsive to your kids' needs and responsive to your own needs. So. If your kid is doing okay, go do what you need to do. Read a book, make dinner, answer some emails, do whatever, so that when they need you, you're there for them, right? And find the time to hang out with them or play cards. Like this summer, we started playing this new card game called Five Crowns, and I love it, and we could all play it together. So we played cards every night, and that was great, because I don't want to play other things with my children. Same, same. So, but... How do we get ourselves past this idea that we should justify time away from our kids? Fine. I'll tell you how we get past it because it's what you need to do to not lose your shit with your kids. Right. So right. it's a necessity. I don't, I don't think we should have to justify it, but if you're still in that headspace where you do feel that way and you're losing your shit with your kids a lot, getting some space from them both physically is really important, but also not getting wrapped up in their shit when you're with them is really important. And the best example I have is, you know, I'll, I'll be with my friends and we'll all go to the beach together or something. And the kids are happily playing and the parents are like wanting to play with them. And the kids, no, are like, no, like, dude, don't even look at them. Do not. Yeah, my my husband wants to play with them. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, my husband thinks I'm a bad person for not wanting to play with them. Here's the thing. Mine too. First of all, let's talk about default parents and who's the default parent. And 
total gender stereotype here, but in many American families, in many American, hold on, heterosexual families with two parents, let's acknowledge there are many families that are either not heterosexual or don't have two parents, but in heterosexual families with two parents, the mom is often, but not always, the default parent. And the default parents are the ones who need a break at the freaking beach. Yes. Number one. Number two, um, look, if your husband wants to go play with the kids- Have fun. He's not <laughs> losing his shit with them in the process, rock on, buddy, go do it. But if you don't want to play with the kids and they're happy, don't do it. Or even if you want to play with the kids, but you're on edge and you're about to bite their little freaking heads off, take a break. Do it. Just do it. Just do it. You're right. It's a, it's a, there's a generational, you know, there's a, I do want to get to the multitasking, but I I, I also, there's a, there's a generational, there's a, um, I think it's a family or couple or relationship expectation, mass, you know, masculine versus feminine. Um, But you also said something that got me, which is that our generation is the generation that yells. And my brain went crazy with that. I'm like, how did, I think that makes sense, but I wonder how this. Well, it's because we can't hit anymore. Like the generation before us hit and now that's not acceptable for very good reason. So the next thing we can do to get them to stop doing what they're doing right away is to yell. Did I get it it wrong, Carla? You looked. No. Okay. Yeah. I think that, look, I think. Sharon is right. That's part of it is that like, I got spanked by my dad. That was a yeah. thing. And that was a thing. A lot of parents did. It was a culturally accepted. My mom, yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're not doing that anymore, but I also think two other factors, three other factors. One is we're more anxious and this anxiety leads to irritability. And can we just stop a minute and like honor and respect all of the parents out there who put their kids in school today thinking, God, I hope this is not the day my kids get shot. By the way, that is a, I am right with you on that one. How I mean, are as are every to parent. Sane yeah. And not be anxious. So if you are an anxious parent out there, please, please don't think there's anything wrong with you. It is not possible to parent and not feel anxious in a world where people are being shot on a regular basis. Absolutely. So, so true. I'm just going to say that. More laws, more gun control. That has to happen. Please vote in November. I also, I also want, um, Whatever, I have another theory on that. But yes, I agree with more gun control. I also want more mental health professionals to um, pay less attention to a litigious society and go with your gut and report things. If you feel something or see something, say something and all that. But listen, I won't let, I've never let my kid, my daughter, buy the shoes that light up when you walk because God forbid she's in a bathroom and a school shooter. And I realize that makes me crazy pants. But can I tell you? I was ordering my daughter's backpacks. This is a throwback to the um, 80s, you know, 70s and 80s when I grew up and everybody was terrified about kidnapping. Yep. That was the big fear back then. So I went to order my daughter's backpacks and I called up L.L. Bean or Land Center or wherever and I'm on the phone explaining the monogram we want. The girls each wanted their name on their backpack. And the woman was like, "I, I don't think that's a good idea. The salesperson on the other end of the phone, because somebody could call your daughter's names and kidnap them. Yeah, that's why I, I won't let like, my kids. But do that's that. been that's since why. you were little, I think. No, Carla, I so, feel like that's. First of all, my kids. We don't live in a society anymore, unfortunately. And again, this is not a parenting thing. There are cultural reasons for this, where our kids are wandering the streets. First, right. of all. second that's of all, stranger true. kidnappings happen at such a like low frequency that's yep. really unlikely. But let's talk about what we're doing with backpacks now. It's not about the name on it. It's about whether or not you should buy your kid a fucking bulletproof backpack. Yep. So I just, mm. it's crazy. So, but anyways, we are yelling more because of the anxiety, mm-hmm. um, because we're not hitting, 
because we're not sleeping as much and there's data to support that we are not getting as much sleep as we need. And that makes us crazy. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the multitasking. Yes. yes, this is huge. Super, this is what I want to like talk about all the time. It's super tied into our screen use, which was not a thing in previous generations. They didn't have iPads and smartphones. So look, how many of us, raise your hand, listeners, if you have ever read, I haven't, you can't raise your hand before we I know, We've done it, we're guilty. We're guilty of everything. You don't even know what I was gonna ask. Oh, but man. I know that I we're guilty. I ask you how many of you have licked the chair at CVS. You don't know. Oh <laughs> man, it's only Sharon on that one. Yeah, so it's good for your immune system. <laughs> we all grew up in a world where job descriptions all say ability to multitask required. So we were raised in a culture that tells us that the ability to do more than one thing at a time is not only possible, but it's desirable. Bullshit. Okay. It is neither possible nor desirable because our brains are not wired to do that and they can't do it. So what scientists now talk about, people who research this, they talk about task switching because what we're doing is jumping from one task to the next back and forth really quickly. And the thing is our bodies can often switch tasks before our brains can catch up and there's a lag there. And in that lag, we get more stressed out because, so how I define stress in the book is the thought, belief, or perception that we can't handle whatever is going on. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And so um, again, we might be right, we might be wrong. It might be true we can't handle it or it might just be a thought, an idea. But the more things we're trying to do at once, the more we are going to believe that we can't handle all the things we're doing and we're going to feel stressed. And so the classic example, oh, and by the way, needless to say, increased stress leads to increased shit loss. And also, the by the way, also the can't handle, I think that's also based more on like the limbic system, prefrontal cortex. So our reaction isn't like, I can't read a book and watch TV. It's holy shit, I can't, you know. Yes. It's not, it's not, you're absolutely right. It's not sort of a verbal, thoughtful, I can't handle this. It's just a freak out. Right. Yeah. It's so, a fight or flight. Yeah. It's a fight like, or flight. Right. Yeah. And so the most common example that every parent I know can deal with is it's after school, it's the evening. So first of all, everyone's tired, which means our brains aren't working. Our prefrontal cortexes aren't working as well as we'd like them to because we're tired. So we're trying to make dinner, which in my house, 99% of the time means stirring noodles. Mm-hmm. You know, you have one kid at the dining room table who's maybe working on homework or a little craft project or something. You've got another kid, maybe they're in the toilet yelling for you to come wipe the toilet. Yes, God you know? damn it, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got your smartphone next to you, and maybe you're texting with a friend, maybe you're trying to shoot off a work email, maybe you are this person who has headlines from like, you know, CNN.com or whatever popping up, telling you about the crap that's happening all over the world. And, you know, right now we're in hurricane season and I'm worried about all the people dealing with this hurricane, <laughs> that popping, whatever it is. And so you are doing essentially four or five things at once. And inevitably what's going to happen is you're going to step on a Lego. Yep. You're going to like drop the blueberries all over the kitchen floor. Your kid is going to spill the glitter or, you know, you're going to start squabbling about something and you're just going to lose your shit. And it's mm-hmm. like working at the computer with too many tabs open and you open one more tab and like it all freezes up and smoke starts pouring out of the back of your monitor. So it doesn't work. And I'm not saying you can never multitask. Like I fold laundry in front of the TV. Right. 
nothing's going to go wrong. Like who cares if I put the wrong laundry in the wrong bin or if I miss a few minutes of blue bloods or whatever crap I like to watch, I can just rewind. Right. Because Netflix. So here's what we do instead. First of all, just recognize that multitasking is not the goal. It doesn't make you awesome and adulty and efficient and effective. It just increases your stress and makes you more likely to lose your shit. And your kids notice, my kid notices. Oh, they totally notice. You know, my favorite multitasking is I'll be reading them a book and in my mind, I'm like going through my task list or whatever. I don't know what I read to them. They can feel that I'm all stressed out. We don't feel all calm. They get snappy. It all goes to hell, right? Yeah. So um, step one, let go of this belief that multitasking is the goal. It's not. It should be the exception rather than the rule, okay? Step two, notice when you're multitasking because the truth is, even if you're doing just one thing with your body, and doing something else with your brain, that's multitasking, right? And how many of us have gotten in the car to drive somewhere and suddenly we end up there and we have no idea how we got there? So scary. Is when you end up in the wrong place. Like you didn't mean, you're like, you're like so many times I start driving towards the girl's school on like a Sunday because I drive to their school 80 bajillion times a day. Okay, just twice, but it feels like like Um, all the time. um, So notice if you're doing it and then just decide. Is this a good time to multitask or not? So here's how you here's how you know. Number one, if there could potentially be a negative outcome if you screw up. So if you're driving the car, put away your phone. Don't multitask. Don't fiddle with the GPS. If the podcast ends in the middle of the drive, the kids will survive. They can wait, right? <laughs> um, so if there's like, if you're cooking and it would be bad if you burn dinner, if you're working on a spreadsheet for work and it would be bad if you put in the wrong numbers, like all of, if there's a bad, a negative outcome, don't multitask. Um, if you're already having a lot of like strong thoughts or feelings, so if you are already agitated or stressed or anxious and you're trying to get something done, that's a terrible time to multitask. And the third is, and I hate to say it, if you're with your kids. I see, exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, because kids are like the ultimate tab openers. They walk in the room and every single tab on our internet browser opens up and it all, blah. So, but that doesn't mean, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that when you're with your kids, you can only pay attention to them. I'm saying that if your kids are around, either pay attention to them or basically ignore them. And I'm not saying that. uh, I love the ignoring. Like, a hostile, mean way where you're like looking at them and like, I'm not going to answer your question, even though I'm standing here staring at you. So shut up, kid. That's just another way of losing your shit. Of course. What I mean is if you need to do something else and you're with them, and this is really hard with little kids. So with the littles, you got to train them. It takes a long time. Be very patient and calm and like compassionate with yourself. But over time you train them. Hey, I need to cook dinner right now, even if it's just stirring these damn noodles so you can go read a book or do an art project or a puzzle. And now that my kids are old enough, I say, go figure out something to do. Right. Right. And so, you know, and then when they get into something to do, don't go interrupt. And if they're siblings and they start getting in a squabble, try not to intervene. See if they can figure it out. And obviously the blood curdling scream, like you need to go deal with it. Um, And when it's a major situation, like I've got a lot of feelings or I've got a stressful work thing I have to get done or whatever, that's why God invented screen time. Oh, thank the Lord. That is what (laughs) I save my screen time for. I don't use it when they want it. I give them screen time when I need them to have it. Right. You know, and there's also something to be said about um, sort of clearly delineating what's 
you know, rather than multitasking, sort of, you know, uh, industrial organizational, you know, psychology, like what's a good manager, one who does what they say they're going to do when they're going to do it, what's, a, you know, provides a safe attachment for children, it's sort of the same thing. If you can take out the guesswork and really make them, you know, understand, okay, I need 20 minutes to do this, you do this, and then we'll do this, it's, it, it's presenting a more secure parenting I think which should make up for the fact that when we do lose our shit, we've still, you know, defined yeah. ourselves and our, where we start and they end, I guess. And, and look, I don't want listeners to think that I'm like this Dolly mama in my life that I'm like, <laughs> and now I will gently stir the noodles while my children meditate. <laughs> no, what it looks like is I'm standing at the stove and they're coming over, mommy, I need this mommy. And I'm like, I'm stirring the noodles. I'll help you when I'm done. And right. then they come back and then I say, making dinner, help you later. And like your kids can learn to wait. This it's is a good thing for them. It's good for them. It's a life skill. And look, they get frustrated sometimes. And sometimes I have to like walk away from dinner and go deal with them because they are, they can't handle it. But if you right. know you need 20 minutes, make sure the kid has a snack, make sure they've got an activity, you know, don't get sucked into their whines about boredom. This is for older kids. When my kids say I'm bored, I come back with one of many witty responses, including hi, bored. I'm mom. Nice to meet you. I like that one. <laughs> I, I love, it. love it. Oh my God. They love it. Um, <laughs> or like, good to know. And sometimes I go out social working and I'm like, you know what? It's really important for kids to be bored because that's how they learn to think creatively and tolerate difficult emotions. And they're like out the door before I can even finish. <laughs> yeah. My husband yeah. and I are both shrinks. So my kids are fucked. So it's, yeah, they are. They're screwed. Uh, or, you know, I'll say, you know what, if you're bored, um, you could empty the dishwasher. Right. And all of a sudden, they're not so bored anymore. So don't, it is not our job to entertain our children. It's not. Yeah. I, I struggle. I feel like I especially struggle with this because my business is online and it's heavy on social media and, and I like, I like it more than like anything else. So <laughs> like, just like from a selfish perspective, I'm like, no, I'd rather be answering Susie from Nebraska than dealing with this parenting crap right now. And I find myself struggling to like, then I feel bad. I'm like, Sharon, you're a mom. Like you need to do like, you got to adult at some point. You just have to say, I have to pick one thing and my kids are more important right now, but I'm going to admit it. Like it's really hard sometimes, but if I don't do it, I find myself losing my shit. Look, yes, it's really hard. And it's not just like, even if you're a person who doesn't love your job, it's still really hard to get off the screens because, you know, think about it. Some of the most brilliant tech minds in the world are being paid exclusively excruciating amounts of money to sit around and figure out how to get us more sucked into these apps. Because mm -hmm. the more we get sucked into their apps, the more ads we see, the more ads we see, the more likely we are to buy that product and the more the money that company will pay to the app to run their ads. Right. So literally, I mean, it's, it's to the point, I read this in Catherine Price's book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. It's mm -hmm. brilliant. I love this book. She talks about how they did research and they realized on Instagram, okay, if you log into Instagram and you open your pictures... Um, and you're scrolling through your feed and people are liking your pictures. So the app can either feed out those likes one at a time, or they can hold back your likes and then dump six or seven little hearts on you all at once. And they did enough research to realize that when they dump the likes all at once, people are more addicted to the app. Like that's the wow. level at which they're like messing with us. So Sharon, I am glad you love your job. And being online and dealing with social media, it is also intentionally and purposely engineered 
to suck us in. But think about what else, like, oh my God, those videos online where Ellen DeGeneres scares the crap out of her viewers. Have you ever seen this? That's addicting. No. Oh my God. It's so funny. Hilarious. She's like jumping out at yeah. these guests, these celebrities and screaming <laughs> at them and they fall on the floor. They freak out. And once I get going on the Ellen videos, mm-hmm. I can't stop. And which would I rather do? Wipe my kid's butt or <laughs> yeah. watch Ellen DeGeneres be hilarious. I would rather watch <laughs> Right? So of yes. course, online is more entertaining than our children. Right. But, you know, our kids need us. Yeah. We made a decision to become parents. We got right. them. And so first of all, that's why it's important to give yourself a break when you can, right? But also you got to get the screens out of the room. Like I can't, if my screens are in the room with me, I will see them. I will go to them. I will touch them. I will pet them. I will snuggle them. Here's my phone. <laughs> I, I Look, there's a picture of my daughters on my phone. Oh. But look, here's the deal. I wanted a smartphone before they even existed. And the proof is Inspector Gadget. Do you remember Penny? Of course. course. Remember how she had that book, that amazing book? Yep. I wanted that when I was a kid. I was like, and now we have it. And now we have it. And I love it. I love it. I love my phone. I don't want, but I, you know, um, it's a problem. It, yes. it is the ultimate double-edged sword of parenting. In many ways, it makes parenting easier for me. And in many ways, it makes it much harder. But when I am with my kids, if my phone is in the room, I will pick it up and then I will be annoyed when they want my attention. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep it. That When I read that in the book, it was like a light bulb went out on and I said, I have to keep the phone out of the room because even if it's off, even if it's across the room, I will be looking at it and checking it and walking to it. So that's just something I'm going to have to do, but I know it's going to make me so much calmer with my kids. Could I just hit one more quick point before I know we all have to go to our children that we love so much? Um, You know, one of the interesting, one of the 3000 interesting things um, was where you said it, you know, we have this misconception that it's our job to keep our children happy. Yes. Mm. That was so good. And Sharon and I did a podcast a few months ago. I don't know about the fact that like, it's fucked up that we all think our default should be happy. Our default should be survival. I mean, our default should be um, okay. Like if you want change, if you want something new, you should, sometimes it's got to suck. You've got to be hungry or uncomfortable or whatnot. Um, And you're right. In this day and age, we feel like it's our job to make our children happy which is different than keeping them safe. Um, And look, once again, this is not our fault. And I I really, I keep beating this horse because I feel like many of these sort of critiques, people take it as like an individual, like you're doing it wrong. We live in a culture that glorifies happiness, right? All of these books, The Happiness Project, like we should be happier. The end result is happy, happy, happy. Like I think one of the best most attended, most popular courses at Harvard was basically how to be happy. And I'm like, you know what? What happens when really shitty stuff happens? You know what? I don't know if I want to send my kid to Harvard and have them taking that course, but agreed. It's at a lot of schools too, but like positive psychology, very popular. But like, I got an ingrown toenail for the first time. Oh, oh my God, they're horrible. (gasps) I had no idea. And I was like, and I was thinking Ugh. about all this at that time. And I was like, why am I supposed to be happy right now? This feels like no, shit. I can't. Not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to like find a podiatrist and go see this person and deal with. And that is minor. Yep. Compared to 
the flooding in the Bahamas right now, everything going on in Syria, all over the world, like a freaking ingrown toenail is nothing. You know, and I think about this, I think about generations ago when people were dying young all the time, you know, and, you know, slavery. I mean, my mind can go to a million different places where I'm like, life is fundamentally not happy. It's Mm -hmm. hard. And if we are lucky, we have these moments of happiness. And if we're really lucky, we notice them and enjoy them. And so I don't look, of course, I want my kids to be happy. But really what I want is I want my kids to know how to function when they're not happy. Exactly. Exactly. That's more important. Yep. And so I think that we parents are setting our kids up for an unrealistic life. And I think it's a lot of pressure on them because if if the message we're you know, conveying to them is you always have to be happy, then how bad are they going to feel as kids? When they're not, yeah. When they're not, are they going to be like, oh, I messed up? So last night, my sweet little daughter was talking about how anxious she was about starting school tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, buddy. It's anxiety provoking. Yeah. I feel anxious. And you know, you're going to feel this way every year. You're going to feel when you start a new job. And so the deal is to figure out what to do. So let's go play a card game or we can sit around and talk about how anxious you are. Like whatever you want to do, let's do it. And we got through the night, but I wasn't like, no, you shouldn't feel anxious. Right. You're teaching her to cope because life is about coping. It's not about all the time. That's right. And the rule we have in our family um, is that no feeling is ever wrong. There's never wrong feeling. I don't care if you are so angry or jealous or pissed or sad or overwhelmed or frustrated or get like, no feeling is wrong. The problem comes up with the behaviors we do with these feelings. Right, right. So when you can be like, you know what? I am so angry at my sister right now. I'm so jealous at her. I hate her. Okay, and what are we going to do with this? Right? And so that's, that's what I'm trying to convey to my daughters. You don't have to be happy, but what do we do when we're not happy and how do we deal with it? Which is huge, which should be your next book, I think. And But look, and just to be clear to all the parents out there, this is the work of a lifetime. Yeah. Right? For yeah. me, it was anxiety. Here I was, a clinical social worker, overwhelmed by my anxiety, and I had to go on this journey to figure out how to deal with it. And I'm sure, you know, once my kids trot off to high school or get their driver's licenses or whatever it is, my anxiety will explode all over again, and I'm going to oh, have gosh. to figure out how to deal with it again. And doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. That's just part of my job here as a human being on this planet who and, decided to raise other human beings. And it's a part of your makeup. This is, it's just something you tend towards. I, 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 I like saying anxiety is almost an allergy. You know what triggers it? You understand it. You deal with it. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> that. I wish there was like a shot I could get. <laughs> uh, microdosing I've heard works. So. Drugs. Drugs. I know. It's been, <laughs> I, I just finished reading a really good book and it involved microdosing. It was not a nonfiction book. It was anyway. Did you say this morning that I should be microdosed. Yes, I, what you said at the gym. It was a it was a Leanne Moriarty <laughs> book. It was a great book. Okay. You know, lots of women. Everybody. The new thing is um, what CBD. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think that's just the same garbage. But Sharon's yeah. into everything holistic, so whatever. No, that's not true. I used service to- because it's unregulated. That's yeah, why I agree. You don't I, know what you're getting. I agree. That's why I don't take it or tell anyone else to take it. Lindsay, yeah. what? What? <laughs> I just feel like if I wanted to smoke weed, I would smoke weed. But I'm an adult, and I'm just not there right now. So you know, I know it's different, but that's not the point. 
we could do a whole podcast just on that. But since we all have to go get our kids, I guess. Carla, thank you so much. Tell us where we can direct people to you. Absolutely. So they can go to my website, which is carlanomberg.com. Or, you know, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids is available on Amazon, IndieBound, online retailers. And I've heard it's even in... um, like these places like BJ's, which are these major, you know, Costco. I know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. And um, local independent bookstores. And the two, your two earlier books, I'm sorry, I should have written this down, but what are the names of the two earlier books? I know there was a third anthology you were in, but the. Yeah. So the first book I wrote was called Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters. The second one was called Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Family for, what is it? God, I don't know. Practicing mindfulness work with your children for fewer meltdowns in a more peaceful family. I am old. I can't see that far. Yeah. Um, and what I would say is those two books are great, but they're really in a different voice than this book. And so if readers are looking for humor and profanity, this is it. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Neurotic Nourishment to hear about upcoming guests and new episodes. We love hearing from you, so don't hesitate to slide into our DMs and let us know what you really think. Bye.